being the artist is possibly the hardest part in this, um, but you've got to own it. You've got to understand that it is yours. And don't expect anyone else to make it for you because they're not. Sure, it can help, and I think there's a lot to be helped, but um, you know, at the end of the day, it starts and stops with you as an artist. Welcome to Dauntless Creators. From speaking to the self-releasing artist to the head of A&R at Universal Music, I hope to give you a better idea, whether you're an artist or aspiring CEO, on how to navigate your way through this unpredictable yet exciting industry. See you on the other side. I'm your host, Nina Rebess, and on today's show, I speak to Patrick Ross, Director of Digital Strategy at Music Ally, who focus on digital trends in the music industry. They then educate people from indie labels to the majors to Google and Facebook about how best to utilize digital when it comes to marketing. Patrick joined Music Ally after having been the VP of Digital Marketing at Cobalt. Prior to that, he was head of digital at AWOL. An insightful talk about how to use social media as an opportunity to connect and tell story, as well as some of the unexpected realities of the music industry. Enjoy. Hey, Patrick. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Nina. Of course. Um, so let's start with, why, why do you work in the music industry? Um, ooh, I think the first answer that popped in my brain was, uh, I love music. Which is uh, which is should sort of be a given, mm-hmm. um, but I suppose outside of that, initially it was because uh, I, I don't think I could make enough money off the music that I made to make a living. So uh, I sort of decided on a backup career that would eventually launch me into pop stardom, mm-hmm. um, uh, but sort of got wound up here um, doing the the actual music industry side. That what were, what did you do in music? Uh, I used to used to sing in a band uh, about about a million years ago, but yeah. Mm-hmm. But this was kind of the, the trend, like because you're. I mean, I think you have a lot of people who work in music who used to be musicians. Yeah. Right. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> and do you think, do you think that makes you a better person on the industry side of things? Um, I suppose it's what your intentions are. So there's a lot of folks that uh, I think go into the music business because they're trying to help their own career music like I say I once did which mm-hmm. I'm well beyond that now um, but I think you need to be in it for wanting to be in it not just for that because um, a lot of people I've met that sort of have this idea of uh, of stardom and fame that's going to come on the back of them having a job in the thing um, can be quite disorienting and quite disheartening um, but I think really need to not say that you couldn't ever but in some way shape or form um, you know, if you're going to do this thing, you really need to give yourself to it because it takes a lot of energy, it takes a lot of passion, and if it's just a backup plan, then um, I don't know that you're ever going to fulfill if you're just working on a backup plan. Mm. So when did you, what, what was the moment for you, the transition from when you decided that you were going to go to more to the business side of things? Um, well, I mean, initially in university, I, I started out, was going to do um, music production, so that was where my initial foray was. Uh, quickly realized that was a bit too much for me, that as much as I loved music, um, I didn't love every type of music, especially in those days I was in Nashville. Um, some pop country vocalist who would be singing a little lyric over and over and over again and I'd have to care about it. Huh. Um, so that's when I decided working on the business side would be better because you can either really be into something or you can just work on it as a, an abstract if you don't actually sort of like what's coming out the speakers because certainly everything will be to your uh, taste throughout your career. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're a music ally right now, working in the digital space. 
And how do you see the role of, of Music Ally in the music industry? Um, well, I mean, we're literally your ally. We're the mm -hmm. Music Ally, we're your friend. Um, I think we've actually just come up with a, with a really good hashtag that we're, we're, we're using, but it's market music better. Um, we've kind of finally boiled down what we do, and that's what I'd say is the is the uh, long and short of our, our old thing. So we help people market music better. I mean, we're all passionate about music. Um, our founder, our CEO, is a, is a bass player um, in a successful band, or was in a successful band, yet to be seen if they'll be back. Um, what band? We, the Sundays, uh -huh. a band called The Sundays. Um, they've been on a hiatus, not to say that they're uh, never coming back. Um, but yeah, I, I think that we all have a lot of passion here for music of all sorts and kinds um, and just want to help people uh, get the most out of what they can with it um, and especially in the modern era of the digital space, helping them to understand that and make sure that they're able to you know, reach their audiences as best as they possibly can. Because I think, I mean, we obviously live in a time where digital is so important and online is so important and I think a lot of people are still trying to make that transition to fully under and they, they don't fully understand how to utilize digital in the best way. So when you're working with um, you know artists or managers, do you feel do you ever feel a lot of resistance? What to them wanting to work with us? No, to the to the whole fact of embracing the digital. Um, if sure, you still get people uh, occasionally. I um, mean, we're quite fortunate that we um, we're spoiled for choice. That we we tend to. We only want to work with people that really want to work with us. Um, so, uh, you know, if they're resistant to digital, um, good luck. But, you know, you've got to, I mean, in my, in my career, I've seen people that were, uh, for lack of a better word, heritage artists that have come along, and the ones that have done the best are those that have been able to embrace change because, you know, evolve or die. So, what do you think is really important for an artist starting out? In um, terms of digital? Sure. I mean, obviously, well, I had a, had a manager once. Uh, say this, but sort of from working with me to, to the band I was working with, um, and he looked at his band, they were all young, uh, probably like early 20s, late teens sort of thing, and said, guys, back in my day, the manager had been around a bit, back in my day, you had to get out there on the road and play all the gigs and get in that band and go up and down and tour and make sure all that happened. Mm -hmm. You had to practice and make sure that you were on top of your game. Um, after the shows, you had to be there to be with your fans and connect with them. And now, on top of that, you also have to do social media. So I think people should understand that it hasn't changed that much. There's still that aspect of live and touring and, and going around. Um, it's just that now there's a platform, um, platforms that allow an artist to connect with their, with their fans. Um, I think that's, that's what social media is. So yeah, first thing starting out is figure out what these channels are for. Um, I think too often we look at them like they're promotional sales channels. And I think as we sort of mature as a society to understand what Facebook is, um, where Twitter fits in someone's life, and what, you know, what an Instagram account means, um, we start to understand that, if, of course, there's marketing messages in there, but that the things that really perform well are the things that are about connection and communication. So, um, you know, make that part of your strategy. When you figure out what it is that your message is as an artist, um, figure out how you're going to translate that in a digital space as well. So how do you think, I mean, yeah, I, th I completely agree. I think it's definitely about having communication and a message and talk about something that people care about. But I think a lot of people struggle with actually trying to figure out what they want to say and how they're going to say it. Um, do, you guys, do you guys ever help artists figure out 
you know, get through that process of I mean, that, what do you want to say? Yeah, that, that for me, um, I've never sort of called what I do marketing. Um, at some level, it is, and it's been, you know, it's how we in the music industry are either marketing or operations or finance. We we define things in these terms, um, but I've I've never really wanted to call it that because um, I think marketing a lot of times where I find it goes wrong is when you're trying to create a voice for an artist. Um, and sure, sometimes I know that that happens somewhere, but I think that the best artists are those that have their own voice. Um, so if you don't have anything to say. What are you stepping up to the mic with? Um, and you know what what does that mean? There's there's a difference between I can make a record in my bedroom in front of my computer, but I can't actually get on stage and tour that around or talk to people about it or present it or present a sort of clear view of who I am. And I think there's certainly a place for that, but if you you know if you look at what's successful and who's successful, um, it takes being able to communicate something. And if you don't have a message to communicate, whether that be through your music, what you're gonna say, standing on stage to through social media, um, then maybe you should think about why you're doing this. Mm-hmm. And do you think do you think artists have to use all platforms? Um, no, it's about it's definitely about where your fans are. I mean I think I said I said this the other night at a um, at University of Westminster when I was speaking to a master's class there and they, they, I got asked sort of what tools are, are most important? What's the what platform? And I was like, well, you know, new things are always cropping up, and people people like to jump on bandwagons. And I said, don't don't worry about that. From my experience, I'd say that um, you know, if it's good, it'll stay. If it's not, it'll go away. But but judge it on this. Judge it on um, does it allow me to communicate effectively uh, as little friction as possible to my audience, and are my audience there? Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you're you know of a certain probably age. Um, and your audience is not on Snapchat, then don't go and try and force that. You know, if you if you um, find Twitter is, is your joint and that's where you like to be, then great, go with that. And if that's where your audience is, it's about you know these are these are just tools. They're not end alls and be alls. And it's um, yeah, being being everywhere, whatever that means. I mean, you could quite boil it down these days. You've got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, sort of everything else beyond that. I'm not talking about you know your Spotify's and your YouTubes, but those true social platforms and yeah how you interact with each one of those is down to how you're best uh, best able and most effectively able to communicate a message Mm -hmm. so i think there's a lot of artists who really struggle with social media they don't want to do it they don't know how to do it um how should they educate themselves on how to approach their socials um now not to sound like a shameless plug but we do training which Mm -hmm. is one of the things that we do um, and outside of actually, you know, paying for our training to go in and, and have us sort of tell you how those platforms work, um, I guess it's just get familiar with it and look at how people are using it. I mean, I think, especially the younger generation, digital natives, it's, it's easier to understand. Um, I mean, the big thing, not to sort of go in a circle, circle about the same thing, but it is um, about communication and connection, and all these platforms work best like that. Um, there are certainly tips and tricks that you know you can talk to people like ourselves or find someone that's quite digital to help you with. But the long and short of it is, don't you know? I think too many artists will get worried about selling, or um, it's more about capturing a moment. It's more about a bit of communication. It's about a narrative. Um, that's what to look for. So don't. I would say use these things. Uh, try different things. See what's working best. See when you get the best engagement. And is the best engagement that you get off of a post. Um, the one where you actually tell a story or thank a fan or communicate something from your heart 
or is it the one where you go buy this now and have 16 links in it? Um, mm -hmm. I get in that way, it's probably gonna be the former. Um, but it's yeah, these platforms are set up to sort of work best with certain kinds of content, and I think they that an artist just has to keep experimenting with that, like they do with, with the music, like they do with um, you know, what their sound is. You've got to kind of nail your voice on these platforms, and once you get it, I think it just starts to click, and you'll know that because the feedback that you get, because that's that's the point of these channels, they're not. They're not just platforms, they're not just podiums mm. to broadcast from. Um, it's a two-way conversation. I think that's that's a, another big thing that people have to realize is that when people contact and reach out, you've suddenly got the ability en masse to say something to your entire fan base and then sort of go back one by one to them as you can. And I think that's what you have to look into is, is it, is it um, causing the most interaction? Because uh, that, at the end of the day, is, is, is what's paramount, I think, with all those platforms. Yeah, so speaking, responding to your fans, mm -hmm. important. So once you've kind of, once you've set, you know, with the people that you work with, once you've set the kind of message, um, what's the next part of, of developing a good campaign? Um, so, I mean, yeah, as an artist, once you've got your message and your voice, that's, you know, that's probably, that's probably the thing that you're going to need to develop before some sort of entity in the music industry comes along. Um, I would say that's, you know, you, you should present that and that should be yours. Um, I guess then it's, it's, it's sort of, yeah, you know, what are you doing with this music and how are you getting it out there? Um, obviously live is, you know, a great place to start. Um, these days it's, the market has changed somewhat that you can, you can use Spotify as a bit more of a testing platform where back in the day you had to hold everything back to, to sort of put a release out because you didn't want to be judged on it. Um, but yeah, I would, I would say it's, it's start small, start slow and steady, um, start playing gigs, start doing things like that and uh, pay attention to the audience because if it's getting bigger every time and there's people into the thing that you do, then it's just going to grow. But if you keep playing the same venues or you keep sort of even going around and your audience is getting smaller, mm -hmm. um, maybe it's time to change something. So I think you know, that's first and foremost is to nail what it is that makes you unique. Why should people, I mean, you know, there's loads of people that can play the guitar. Why should I listen to you play guitar? What is it that you offer? Um, figure out that differentiation. Um, and you know, I wouldn't worry too much about the sort of traditional industry at that point. I mean, we, we do a great job of taking a thing that sort of started off um, somewhere and, and, and taking it further. But I would say that there's a whole lot of groundwork to be laid uh, in going out there and actually doing the, the most direct to fan as you can, which is, um, as, as uh, some artists would put it, you know, standing there talking direct to your fans and figure out who they are and figure out what they want and start that kind of connection. Um, I think that's, that's the thing you got to nail. Then the, then the machine can come and help you if it's, uh, if it's, if it's needed. Yeah, focus on what, you do, what you're doing, basically. Um, so what do you think, I mean, looking at the music industry from a very critical standpoint, what do you think they need to address? Or how could they improve? What, the industry itself? Mm -hmm. um, well, it depends on what aspect you're talking about. I think there's been when I first when I first got into this business, but before getting into the business, going into to university, um, we had a we had a class. I went to Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee, and we had a class um, called Introduction to the Music Business. Mm. Uh, everyone had to take it. Yeah, I had one of them as well. Yeah, great great class. Mm. Um, and the way I described Belmont was as a university, it was all those guys that were like the one guy that had a guitar in their, their high school. And you went to Belmont and it was all of us just sitting around like the front steps of my dorm. It was sort of hilarious to be 50 guys with acoustic guitars. Um, and a lot of them, like me, sort of had this sort of, uh, yeah, dad said, okay, yeah, it's fine, I want to be a musician, but you need to go to school. 
Um, so we go to this class, and about 50% of the uh, of the uh, class basically dropped out after that one because they go in and they made it very clear and very obvious what this industry was. It was just telling you how it was, but um, which I think was for, well, I, I think I had this naive idea at 18 or 19 years old that there were people that made the music, there were people that consumed the music and loved it, and something in between that sort of facilitated that relationship. And they just teach you about every single aspect and ownership and how long publishing deals last. And we're talking 25 years at this point sort of thing. And how rights were distributed. And it was very much not very artist friendly from what I could tell. Um, but I, of course, got a little bit disheartened, but looked at it and go, look, I know I'm supposed to change this thing. That's kind of, um, at some point I realized that was what I was supposed to do, so to make it better. But if I'm going to make it better and understand it, then uh, I need to understand it completely. And how are you going to fix the machine if you don't get inside the machine? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think, I think that the industry, it's actually doing a lot better at that. I mean, technology's helped. Um, there's been a lot of, like, strong ways to work from Cobalt and Transparency was something that they've, you know, banged on about for a long time. Uh, my previous company uh, for that was, was AWOL, and that was all about a 30-day rolling contract that was artist-friendly. Um, I think there's a lot more now where artists are being served. Um, so I think we're, we're getting better at it um, more and more. I think anything that we need to improve is when you're um, sort of, when the artist, when the actual creative, when the person, the, the, the people that are, are making the thing that has value, when we're, when we're not um, honoring them and helping them in this whole thing. Because at the end of the day, uh, there wouldn't be a music industry if there wasn't music. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, we thought that we were the, the ones because maybe you know going back to an Alan Lomax uh, traveling around recording musicians in the hills of of, uh, of the Appalachian Mountains um, and being like I'm the guy that knows how to taking these rights from people. I mean, I don't you can debate that as you want, but this this idea has been around for a while. I think now musicians are getting more savvy and they have the ability and the tools and the data to be able to actually go, no, I, I want to make this decision and you should work for me and work with me. And I think that's that's a beautiful change that I've, I've seen just coming more of age. Mm-hmm. And the digital world helps with that. Certainly. Loads. Certainly. I mean, yeah, it was gatekeepers is a word that's often used. And in the past, there's no way around it. Like, you yeah. want to get your record out to the hundreds of thousands of people, you're going to need some people to press those records, put those records into boxes, to take those records out to, you know, you get mm-hmm. that, that whole distribution. Uh, distribution now is you sit on your computer, you hit upload, and within, you know, in mm-hmm. some cases, a matter of 24 hours, uh, don't ever do that, by the way, give your music the time to go out, but wait at least five weeks, but you have, within a short period of time, the entire world that has a Spotify or an Apple Music or, um, heck, even YouTube, uh, is able to consume that, so we've, I think those barriers have taken a lot away, a lot of the gatekeepers that had to be there, as opposed to put systems around that allow an artist to sort of move more freely in that space, and uh, decrease the friction between um, them communicating a message and their fans. Yeah, I think a lot of people will definitely agree with that point. And I think, you know, labels have, I mean, from talking to labels, they all kind of agree with the fact that they need to kind of update their systems to actually make artists want to sign to them. So I think today with the, all the digital services you have, you can literally do everything on your own. So what's your take on, you know, artists releasing independently versus releasing with a label? Um, well, I think there's a whole lot in between there, and there's maybe a misnomer that not doing it with a label is necessarily doing it independently. Mm-hmm. Um, someone's going to have to distribute your thing. Um, we actually have this conversation a lot here about what it would take to do it without any big entity, but a lot of times you end up recreating, I mean, you have 
this day and age of a lot of what we're starting to call management labels, where management has gone, no, we don't want to pay the label for this. We don't want to, you know, put all these things in the label. We'll do this. But now what's the difference between going through your management company that has basically the functions of a label to a label company? I mean, I think, I think the things that are, um, that you have to pay attention to is ownership of, of what's valuable and your copyright as an artist is what's valuable. And that's from you know, the actual song that you've written to the recording of that song um, and being able to maintain that and bring partners around it to, to do uh, what's needed. And I think more labels even, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the lines are blurring from label services to labels to uh, DIY, I'm doing air quotes, DIY distribution. At the end of the day, you're going to need some help to get this thing out there. Um, you know, sure you could... You can try to do it as least decentralized as possible, and that's fine, but are you giving the music the right chance? And I think when I used to be at some level a, a what I call a self-hating music industry professional, because kind of in those classes, hearing how bad some of this industry was, um, it, it, it kind of disheartened me in a way of what am I trying to do? I'm trying to make money off of, you know, off of music, which means basically off of someone else's copyright that I've not created anything. Um, but a good buddy of mine, um, his name's Jack, his dad runs a company called Absolute Label Services. Uh, and he grew up very different than I did with, with a dad working in this thing. And you know, we saw gold records on his walls growing up, but it was always the family business. And these artists loved his father for, because he helped them to, you know, uh, right said Fred, for instance, like, I'm too sexy, he helped make that happen. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a dirty word, it wasn't a negative. They were like, thank God we had you as a partner in this. Um, I think I had to come to a realization myself that, that doing this, um, if you're not the artist, which I think at some level when you, if you think you are, um, anything other than that is, is, you know, is not going to be nearly as good or as um, credible. But when you step back from it, and I, I have this debate oftentimes with a, with a guitarist from a band I used to manage, where he, he'll call me a critic because I don't play guitar like he does, but I go, mate, what would you prefer? Would you prefer that I know how to digitally market the thing better than like you could ever hope to? And there's some sort of art to it. I, you know, it's it's maybe not as sexy as, as your is your guitar there, but um, is it is is that what you want, or is it that you know I'm doing my own art form and we're all coming together? So yeah, that was a very long roundabout, um, as as my answers tend to be, uh, long winded way of of sort of saying that yeah, that there's you know it's a partnership. I mean, we need the artist. I think music industry has very much come to realize that. I think there's a lot of the people that I know that work in it that are my contemporaries, and even those that, that have sort of brought me up in it, um, love music. And they were, I don't, I've never put myself closely with anyone that wasn't artist friendly or actually cared. So, and on that side, I think hopefully artists should realize that we should be partners on the other side. And it, it always works best when there's interaction between those two sides. When the artist stands back and whether that's through their management or whatever treats the, the, people working for them at the end of the day as something completely different and separate it doesn't go as well but when they actually embrace us and pull us together and we all go what are we trying to achieve um it's it's way way better and if we do our jobs right then um they'll go much further and farther and they'll get their message out there with as little friction as possible and we all win mm -hmm. so it's important for the artist to actually care yes um do you are there any other characteristics that you've that you've seen um, that differentiates artists who succeed versus the ones who don't? Um, tenacity. <laughs> uh, one other one I say, that's an interesting one, is some sort of business mind. Um, and not all artists are going to be self-managing geniuses, and that's why I think there is still uh, a place for 
you know, people, music industry professionals um, for a lot of folks, but at some level, an awareness, um, an awareness of what you're doing, uh, because a naivety of just thinking, I'm going to just keep playing this uh, and they're all going to come, um, as in whether that's money or labels or, or uh, management or fans even, without actually being a bit uh, clever to what they do, I think that's, um, that's a, a bit of a... Um, farce. That's that's not really something that happens. I mean, if you look at a buddy of mine, sorry to, to drown on, but a buddy of mine, uh, Howie, who um, he, he's a sort of manager artist, um, Howie Payne. Uh, he he was. I had this chat with him, and I was feeling a bit disheartened. And he goes, "Mate," and he knows the the Oasis guys, and he was saying how when they played that first gig, that gig that they knew that um, that uh, I believe it was Alan McGee. Was going to be at at, um, at King Tut's in Glasgow. They had, he goes, don't ever act like that was not planned. Like, these guys knew what they were doing. They to <laughs> it's kind of a long one, um, so you can. No, please uh, go ahead. But if you, it kind of goes along, and this is how he does it much better because he's got a, a Scouse accent and mine's sort of a, a hodgepodge in between. But um, it's certainly not Scouse. But the way he put it is that um, they didn't accidentally have the first band practice. They had to coordinate to get together to get their instruments to take the songs they'd written to come together to rehearse this in a space and do that over and over again. They had to get the money together to pay for the van to book and book the gig at King Tut's where they knew that uh, the um, Alan McGee was going to be. They had to then go get in that van, drive it up to Glasgow, go play the show so that when he came down, saw this band, I mean, it's like all of it was quite business sense. And you like to think of it as like, ah, yeah, we just, we just, like, we just did it. We just turned up and it was like fucking awesome. Um, and that's, that's like not necessarily the case. And I think if you look at most of your favorite artists, as much as they're geniuses at the music they made, they at some level knew what they were doing. Um, I mean, for God's sakes, the Beatles playing Hamburg. It wasn't like they just sat around waiting. They played and played and played and played and they refined that thing until they could play it really, really well um, and went and worked hard to get this thing off the ground. And I think, I think that's the thing that there's some idea that if you play a couple gigs, someone's gonna swoop you up and make it all happen. Um, it's yours, you know. Being, being the artist is possibly the hardest part in this, um, but you've got to own it. You've got to understand that it is yours, and don't expect anyone else to make it for you because they're not. Sure, they can help. I think there's a lot to be helped, but um, you know, at the end of the day, it starts and stops with you as an artist. Well said. <laughs> Ish. No, def. No, I. I mean, I definitely agree. I think. I think there is a lot of artists have this kind of preconception of what it's like to be in the music industry, and same thing, same people, same with people who want to work in the industry. I think everyone has a certain idea of what it's like. So, what I mean, was there anything that really surprised you when you started working in it? Um, one of the main major uh, thing that's what I had to wake up to. Um, was it's not academia, which is, is fine, and you can go to uh, get a degree in something, but you get an academic view of what it is. Um, and my first internship at Network Records here in the UK, when I came over to finish my degree, um, you know, I got asked, what, what do you do? And I sat there spouting off how I knew about revenue streams, what publishing was, and sort of, you know, what a PPD would be, and how synchronization licensing worked, and all the things in academia that are still very useful to know, don't get me wrong. Um, but actually realizing what the sort of nuts and bolts and day to day of it are, um, I think I think that was you know there's a difference between education space and and the actual thing, and I think the only way you can actually understand it is doing it. Um, you know, there's very specific cultures in music and, and different um, in different companies and even different genres, 
Uh, I think a lot of it, you know, we, we I don't know, we, we think it, and sometimes maybe it's really glorious as well. Um, and I'll tell you, most of it's not that glorious, um, not that glamorous. You know, there's the occasional time when you get to work a great record and then, you know, stand backstage and have the artist actually look at you in the eye and recognize who you are and say thank you very much. Those are those are great, wonderful moments, but those are few and far between. You know, the rest of it's waking up on a Monday and, uh, you know, maybe sorting out something that went wrong and trying to fix things and, um, and at the same time, as much as I love you artists, uh, dealing with some artists that are you know, a bit delusional and you're, you're trying to rally this because it's for their own good. And um, yeah, I just, I think, I think people have to realize that as you know, it is at the end of the day, it's, it's a great product, but at the end of the day, when you know, you're, when you're in marketing and music, you are there to market a product of, of some kind. And it's one I believe in, well, depending on the music, hmm. but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, I don't know, I'm letting a bit of reality sink in. Yeah. So how do you, so it means a job at the end of the yeah, day, right? Yeah, it's a job. Right? It's yeah. a job. <laughs> like, and luckily enough, it is in music, which we're, I mean, that's already quite fortunate, but it still is. It's got its own negatives, I suppose. Um, Cobalt, AWOL. Mm. Can you talk a bit about those? No, I'm under an exclusive NDA that I can never mention either one of them again. <laughs> yeah. Um I was a freelancer. All of us were freelancers in those days. Uh, we were based in a little recording studio. Um, much more naive than, than uh, I was now. Uh, I hadn't sort of worked anything that big. Um, definitely passionate. Uh, but going there, it was... What I loved about AWOL was um, our founders. We had uh, Kevin Bacon, my Kevin Bacon, who is the Kevin Bacon. He doesn't do films, but he doesn't need to. Mm. Um, and John Quamby. Uh, the two of them are production partners. They were record producers, which was just inspiring. And, uh, and a lovely man called Denzel Fiegelson. Um, but Kevin and John were, were sort of, because Denzel was awfully based off, off an Apple, but up in, uh, we were up in Rack Studios, and it was a historic recording studio that just had so much history. I mean, you're walking around, and being someone who just relocated to this country, walking around seeing all these gold records um, and bands coming in all the time. I remember we had the band Gallows were downstairs for about a month and our floor would just shake and rattle um, because of the, the drums that they did. Uh, it was it was really cool. We're sat there working for this sort of end product, which was putting things on iTunes in those days and in my side marketing, so putting like a MySpace page, but you could also here down in the basement or walk out to, to sort of go into the studio and when either of Kevin and John be producing to go in there and um, see that side of it because it's you do get quite separated from that and I took th 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 that as quite a blessing um, to be able to as much as I could get frustrated an issue about a digital asset or something that seems so far from the creation process uh, but the two were right there saying like, literally you know one floor above the other and that that to me always stood out um, people make the thing uh, especially those that you're um, I'll, I'll say, I'll, I'll, <laughs> no offense, Kev, but I'll, I'll slightly, I'll, I'll lightly use the word boss. Um, uh, that uh, th those people that set the culture, um, mm -hmm. that was that was really cool. I mean, AWOL was too, you know, a guy that had a band and and uh, and his mate that was was basically record producers and had always you know done that side of music and um, and Denzel, who's got his own, uh, you know, uh, history to things. Um, hearing these people come together and be like, we want to do something that helps people. We want to do something that's right. Uh, we want to do this. We want to have a deal that we'd offer to our mates from bands. Um, and that brought a lot of inspiration in those sort of early days, seeing people that really cared. And for what, for who I am and how, what it takes to, to ignite me, 
um, I have to be able to believe in it. Um, so being able to believe in it was 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 pretty fantastic in those sort of AWOL days specifically, um, which is was was sort of I'd say part one of uh, of of a journey. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, part two. <laughs> so we got we got purchased by Cobalt um, at the time. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Was maybe I'll go move to New York City and work for Tummy Touch Records. Am I going to do this? And um, you know, they they came on board. They gave them this transparency ethos, but it's going to be very different than what I'd done. It was you know it was a, a proper company, for lack of a better word. <laughs> we were we were a bunch of freelancers and a, and a, and some guys up in Sheffield, sort of you know all, all pulling together as a team. But I would say the you know, structure was um, was intentionally non-existent. So going to something like Cobalt, where it was you know far more established um, and. Uh, you know, had much bigger clients. Uh, it was a very, very different environment. I mean, I think we all joined there and they started having an HR department. Um, the woman over there that does HR, her name's Jill Massey. She, she <laughs> had some of the challenges that she had to have faced of coming from a tiny little company um, that I think we grew three to four or five times. I mean, as I like to put it, I put my head down one day and there were five of us at AWOL and I look back up and there are 300 people. Um, and that was very different. Very different, and and not to say, um, I don't know, at some level, you know, doing the AWOL thing was great, and we thought what we were doing was wonderful, but it, it could only go so far with the level that we could take things. And then working at, um, at Cobalt, my, uh, my first first boss there, well, Paul Hitchman was, was, was sort of generally my boss, and, and he's the reason that I stuck around, um, because of the vision that he had, but... Uh, my first boss that sort of came in in the middle, and we love each other now, but at the time, and I could imagine I was a little upstart digital kid, a woman named Karen Lieberman, who'd come from Sony and had marketed everything you've ever heard of that was on Sony. Um, and I came in with my little upstart, I know about social media. Mm-hmm. Um, the two of us instantly butted heads, um, and I don't think I thought I had anything to learn. But it turns out I did. Um, and by the end of that, we, we, we became very sweet friends. I mean, how can anybody that likes the Grateful Dead not like someone else that likes the Grateful mm-hmm. Dead? Um, but yeah, it was, it was uh, I learned a lot uh, very quickly. So our first release was this, this Nick Cave album, Push the Sky Away, which I could just feel a weight of like, this is so good. When I first heard it, it was like, this is good. I'm going to do something. Um, and, you know, I think I definitely brought a fresh approach. I'd, I'd hope they'd look back and say, um, but I did certainly learn a lot to you know, how, how the big guys do this, how the, the big players do this, and how you can do it, you know, do it really well. Um, and it was a very different different culture as well with Cobalt that we were going into a publishing company that was starting up this new division of, of, uh, of master rights and recordings. Um, so very, very, two very, very different experiences, but in both um, just, just really great people throughout. And I guess I can speak more to Cobalt because that's more recent in my experience. But yeah, just I loved everybody and, you know, I mean, I'd actually have chats with Willard who told me how he would explain to me how he cared and we had someone that was actually telling us what we were doing and um, I think early on one of the things that, that, that caught me was Willard telling us that if there was a decision we were making that was better for Cobalt and worse for the client that we should not make that decision and that's mm-hmm. literally what you were being given from the sort of like the top down um, and that kind of culture as I say my experience is limited but from what I know from other people that doesn't exist everywhere and you don't necessarily have that um, so I think I've been quite fortunate that the two entities that I've been a part of um, didn't make me compromise my values and allowed me to actually Which exercise those, of being artist-friendly, of doing what's right, of helping people, of spreading love, of healing the world through music. That's my, mm-hmm. uh, that's my purpose on earth. Nice. Um, so yeah, they didn't, they didn't, you know, they actually helped that. And I got to work on some stuff that, you know, I'm still honored to work with some records that um, 
I think were life changing, uh, as as in to to not just myself but to like uh, populace the uh, life changing pieces of art, um, and we helped do that in a way that was credible and helped to represent you know what what an artist wanted and help them realize the vision and that that's that's pretty cool. So what about when you don't when you don't like the music <laughs> or the artist? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, th that's only happened a few times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but how do you, I mean, you know, because you were talking earlier about how it is a job. Yeah, um, I think I'm quite fortunate now, and maybe it's just get through it, because if it don't kill you, it makes you stronger, or, um, uh, you know, I'm putting that exactly, but it, um, these days, uh, thankfully, Music Outlet, just because of where we are um, as a company, we're very fortunate that we only really work with things we want to work with, um, it's, which has been great. Uh, we're very fortunate to do so, and that's because, um, I guess, because of our loving subscribers and the community we have around us and what we've been able to achieve um, as a very small team. But, you know, when you work in a, in a you know, larger company, a larger entity, um, you, have to, you have to work what they give you. It's a roster, and that's why the label works. And it's um, not that you can sort of fix that, uh, but you're not always going to agree with and love everything. And at one level, if it's just the music I don't like, uh, that goes back to sort of why I decided to do the non-production side is because I can just look at it as a product. And to be honest, um, yeah, the, the formula is pretty much the same. Um, not to say you don't do better when you've got a bit more of a passion for the thing. Um, but if it actually gets so bad as you don't like the music and you don't actually like uh, what the artist represents, um, I personally found that very difficult. Um, I think that's, that was, I had a really hard time with that. Um, and I don't, I learned a lot from it, and I learned what I don't want to do. Um, and I guess sometimes you have to do things you don't want to do that are difficult to help you grow. Um, I don't know if there's any way around it. Um, you know, sometimes an artist has changed my mind. Other times they made me think they were worse than I thought they were to begin, to begin with. Um, but at the same time, you can sit here and you can, you know, I could talk about artists that, um, I mean, Nick Cave is probably my favorite of that, that the more I got to know, the more the respect grew um, for, for the artist. And there's, there's some that do do that, and that's pretty amazing. I mean, there's some that, you know, they say, don't, don't meet your idols, that go, oh, God, I didn't actually really want to know that, what's behind the curtain. Huh. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, flipping that question around, have you worked with artists who you really love, where you have a really great campaign planned, but it doesn't deliver? how you wanted it to. Yeah, my, so there's, I won't name, name negatives, but there's a couple campaigns that I worked that sort of changed my view on things. One was, one I didn't, yeah, necessarily like the music and what we were, way it represented, and that was hard. But on the other side, something I absolutely loved, um, uh, they were a band, they're a band, they are a band, called The Head and the Heart, who I loved, I'd already loved them. Um, I'd gone to see them in London, um, thought they were just fantastic, and um, won't sort of talk about specific entities, but let's say we had them you know, outside of, um, outside of the US, and they were getting really bad advice. Um, and I would come home every day, I think, and I would, I would say, um, oh my God, they're, they're, they're doing my head in and they're breaking my heart. Um, because I cared so much about this band and I thought that it was a great record, it still is a great record, and I thought that it could go much further, but just some of the choices they were being advised of, um, it, it, was, it was bad, it was really bad, and they actually switched management in the middle of this, um, and yeah, that's, you know, that's also really hard when you, when you believe in something and think it should do really well, 
Um, and then this one specifically, it was there was sort of uh, directly ignoring advice that we thought would help, and that was really hard um, because it was I just wanted to scream at them, trust me, you can trust me. Um, again, this is one why I didn't have a great we didn't have sort of a face to face with the artist so much, um, which I think always helps. Um, but you know, at the same time, I've worked lots of things that I've cared passionately for that have been um, friends to artists I was just assigned to work to, but I believed in it, and um, you know, despite whatever I tried, it it it, it wasn't sort of coming across that line. Um, that's hard as well when you feel like something should do better, um, but it just doesn't, and especially if you can't just point it to sort of. And there's some factor, or it's the artist's fault, or it's like if you actually look at we all did our best and then it didn't. Um, yeah, that's hard. That's it's, and I think for me with this this industry, it's um, not knocking anyone the world works in the world of bottled water. But I would say this to my dad is that you know I don't think I can market anything else. It's because I love this and I have a bit of passion for it. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. Um, and you know what type of bottled water I drink maybe doesn't. So. Um, I think it's just part and parcel that if you're going to be able to have the passion and the, and the joy, you're also going to have um, the letdown and the hurt when it doesn't work. So what what do you do then when you have the letdown and the hurt? <laughs> I think I got depressed. <laughs> I think I got depressed and uh, and changed what I was doing for a little while. Um, I think it just it made me just really look at what I was doing and what I was doing it for, mm -hmm. um, and try to figure out how you can. So not let that happen again, or at least make sure that the setup is... Because um, I, I learned a lot through that. So now going into something, I can spot those signs, and I think I'd be stronger and firmer on certain things. I think I was younger, so a lot of it was still... I didn't have the confidence to go and say, but you know, these days, I think, um, if I see something's going wrong, I'm not going to keep quiet about it, and I'm certainly mm -hmm. going to make a stink, and, um, just because, it, because of care. So, um, yeah, I think, I think what... <laughs> this is getting kind of, uh, ah, I wear it all on the sleeve anyway. It's, um, it got quite emotionally uh, trying, that sort of thing. I think I was, I was taking everything to heart, and I do a lot of that, I think, as a person. I take a lot of things to heart. I think it, it helped me to maybe toughen up a little bit, and not in a callous sort of way, but in a way of like, look, man, you're not going to win every battle, but you can kind of get back in there the next day to, to fight the good fight again. Um, and, you know, if I, I suppose if I extrapolate that to an artist sense, you know, it's like, it'd be like having that really bad gig where you just bomb it and things don't work so well and you meant to say this but it came across like that. Um, you know, I guess we all have failures in life and if you really care about something and it doesn't achieve what you want, I'm sure that, that hurts because of connection and passion, but get back up and figure out how to do better the next time. Mm -hmm. Well said. So what, what would you advise people who want to get into the music industry or artists looking to have a career in music. Do you really love this? That's the first question to you, is do you mm -hmm. really love this? Because why are you doing this? Because uh, if you're doing it for money, I've seen other places that you can make more money. So I'm not sure <laughs> yeah. that's the, the best. If, that's a, um, if you're doing it for fame, okay, I'm, you know, that's on you, man. Um, I, think it's, I think it's intentions, is look at your intentions. Why are you doing this? Um, and that's what's going to have to carry you through because maybe when you're starting out, it's all fresh and it's fine. But imagine fast forwarding for years, why are you doing this? Um, and if the money doesn't come, these other things don't come. I suppose it's, yeah, state your intentions in this thing. Be very, very clear on why you want to do this um, because people respect that. Uh, at the end of the day, 
you know, I, th- I think we, we don't realize how connected we are all we all are at some points. Um, as an artist, you're only as much as the people listening to you in some way, shape, or form. So you know, if uh, if a musician plays in a forest, does anyone hear it? Um, like with their stone around. So it's that kind of you have to remember it's an artist fan relationship um, and understand what it is you're trying to bring. I suppose be a bit honest with yourself. Um, that's a little bit sort of esoteric and metaphysical, but um, that would be that would be my starting place. That's good. That's good. No, so, I mean, so, somebody recently asked me. I think this is also a really good question. Um, how would the world change if you succeeded? As an artist, or as you? As an artist, as you, yeah. whatever. It's 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 very open ended question, I suppose. No, that's. I mean, like I say, I've I've sort of been given throughout uh, throughout my career. Um, you know, I kind of I sometimes get these sort of uh, messages, if I can better word, that kind of just just resonate in my heart. And um, yeah, it's my. I know that I'm supposed to heal the world's music and. Mm-hmm. At some level, that isn't right now necessarily me playing a guitar and singing. It's trying to work with people that we believe in and be able to help them communicate their vision to more people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, how exactly? That's a, that's a really good one. How's it going to be better? Um, and I think that's what you do have to look at. It's like, and on a sort of converse to that, does the world really need what you're doing? But honestly, I think about it. Are you just doing things that somebody else does because you thought that that's like, what are you bringing that's different? Because at the end of the day, you know, what... What is it that's, that's unique about you that makes you a cut above everyone else? Because um, there's a lot of competition out there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's one thing about talent, there's also something about star quality. Um, and just looking at what you have in those to offer, I think that's very important. Great. So one final question. What's the best piece of advice you ever received? Uh, I'm going to get my, my dad on this one. When I was a, a little... Uh, a little, I was never that little, but when I was a teenager, uh, you know, you're, you know about teenagers, right? Mm. <laughs> Be a little ben. bit of, well, I like to call it gobshite, but a <laughs> bit of a, bit of fucking like, yeah, I don't care, everything's like, oh, screw this. Um, and my, I think I was complaining about my dad about one thing or other, about why the world is wrong and, you know, it should be like this, and I've got these ideas, and he calmly looked at me and goes, um, son, that's really easy to tell me what you're against. My advice for you Figure out what you're for. Hmm. Uh, I'm not interested in what you're against. I'm with what you're for. And I think for most people, think about that because it's easy to have negativity to react to what you see. Because um, there's a lot we, I'm sure we don't like in this world. But and, and and reacting and not liking it, that's not inherently it. But what are you going to communicate? And if you just go communicate more negativity on negativity, it's never going to lead anywhere. So it's figure out what you're for. Um, that's that's and that in my life has probably guided me more than anything when I get upset about something I get angry I have a negative reaction and so what am I actually for what do, what, do, what do I want to change what do I want to make better so that would be that would be my piece very nice thank you so much Patrick no worries thanks for having me hey really hope you enjoyed this episode and if you learned something from it why not share it with a friend who'd also really appreciate the knowledge I'd also love to hear your thoughts and your feedback and any questions you may have, so feel free to tweet me at Nina Rubessa. I'm also always looking for collaborators and new guests, so if you think you can help, head over to be.dauntless.co.uk and send me an email. Till next time.